Welcome back to Bringing Pride to Work with Kylie and Bianca. Before we start, we would like to acknowledge traditional owner of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and culture. We pay our respects to our elders, past, present and emerging. And today we're very excited because we were joined by a special guest, Celia Herbert, Doctor of Organisational Psychology, Principal Catalyst at Coltrix XM Institute. So today's topic is going to be more related around how we build communities in the workplace and welcoming allies as we, as we navigate through that clumsy curiosity. So Celia, just touching on kind of, you know, how this led you into the work that you're currently mm -hmm. doing at the moment, yep. I suppose let's kind of start off with what is clumsy curiosity? Yeah, definitely. Um, hi, everyone, and, and thanks so much for tuning in. I know that it's really hard to find time in your day to, to dedicate to these sorts of things, so I really appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, clumsy curiosity, it's this concept of it has many layers to it, but it's that we're all learning. We're all on a continuous journey of learning. We will often get it wrong, and it's not. It's about progress over perfection. So even within the LGBTI communities that we have and amongst those groups, like we don't often, we don't live through people's other, other people's experiences every day. So we don't know, but being curious and staying curious and staying humble and always engaging in listening and learning without feeling like you have to know everything or being so caught up in being worried about getting it wrong or saying the wrong word or, or something like that. And not letting that hold you back, um, but just getting in there and getting proximate. But it also goes both ways in acknowledging that people will get it wrong for you and that you really like helping people who are allies or, or helping people who are trying to grow and, and learn that they will often get it wrong. And we, are, we do, we can't just be like, that's okay. Like, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, obviously letting them know when they get it wrong, but having that openness and that vulnerability to say, mm. I will let you know when you haven't quite got it right. And I hope that you are open as well to listening when you haven't quite got it right. So mm. it's creating that safe space for both learning, but also around setting boundaries and, and letting people know when they haven't got, because there's nothing worse than when somebody does get it a bit wrong or, you know, they do over, they say the wrong thing or they have good intentions, but it's just not quite right. And we don't say anything and we don't, we don't bring it up. And then they, they repeat that harm or they mm. repeat that. So it's about knowing that that is going to happen. And we, as part of these communities need to be aware that this is a likely occurrence when you invite people in. <laughs> and so you need to not create a hostile environment where they don't feel welcome or they don't feel that they, they will be vilified if they get it wrong, mm. but that you will with gentleness and, you know, with the good, like acknowledging their good intentions that mm. you will be available to them to call them um, on it when they don't get yeah. it right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes makes a good point. Yeah. So what what would it be how did how would they know that they are getting it wrong? Because I mean, for us, I suppose we would know. Yeah. So how do we how do we tell them that they are getting it wrong by still creating that that safe space? Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a delicate balance because as an ally, it is your job to learn right? Like I think no matter what community we're talking about, whether it be racial equity or gender equity or, or any sort of like advocacy in this space, if you're coming at it as an ally, 
the worst thing, <laughs> the, what you don't want to do is make it the other person who are in these marginalised groups to make it their problem to educate you or make it their job to educate you and, and adding that extra workload to them. So this really is about acknowledging that these like we're just human beings, right? Like we're trying to go about our daily lives. We're trying to be really great in our jobs. We're taking care of our families. We're filling in our tax forms. We don't need to add educating you to that list of stuff that we've got going on for us. Um, and so it really is about making sure that you're taking that, that ownership of your own education. And yes, that you're staying, you're getting proximate, you're getting involved, but you're pulling up a seat and you're listening um, rather than necessarily coming in and telling people what to do. That's all the other thing you don't want to do. But the most important thing is you don't want to do is making it their job to teach you. So finding, asking lots of questions and staying curious is kind of where you want to be at, but taking that accountability yourself for your own learning and it's continuous learning it's not something that's one and done um, it's definitely something that happens mm. over a lifetime it's more of a mindset than it is um, a task that you can sort of tick off your to-do list <laughs> yeah it's so funny that you say that um I mean I've I've worked in a lot of a lot of different companies where I've been the only gay in the village yeah um <laughs> and um you almost shoulder the whole responsibility of having to explain to people what that's about and why it's important and how yeah. it works and what it is. And um, it's exhausting. Yeah. I have no other word for it. It is absolutely exhausting. And it feels like the same conversation can be had multiple times with different people or even with the same person yeah. just to get a point across. And it's, it is exhausting. Um, so would you say that's, that's sort of a, a big thing for allies to take on board is to you know, educating themselves and taking some of these questions on and, and perhaps answering gives it a bit more ease on the rest, on, on the people that perhaps have been um, answering it for a long time. Yeah, and, like, we often, like, it's so easy to be really comfortable in the space of, look, whether you're gay or straight or whatever you are, I'm not going to judge you. You know, whether you're, um, whatever your gender identity is, you're welcome in my home, you're welcome to work with me, I'm never going to do anything. So I'm done. You know, like I'm doing my bit. I'm not one of the, the bad people who are oppressing you. But the thing is, that is important. Like, don't get me wrong, like that is absolutely foundationally critically important to do. But it doesn't do anything to change or the system or to, to remove the obstacles that these people are facing in their daily lives like and I always like ask people like have you ever um had to correct someone when someone says oh what are you and your husband up to this weekend and you've had to mm. say well like oh actually me and my wife and that awkward yeah. moment mm -hmm. that you've now got between two people like have you ever yeah. had that oh. have you ever you know like, yeah. like <laughs> these are things that people aren't thinking about mm. in their daily lives so they don't know the extra energy it goes into this. And then I ask people to sort of zoom out to the company or to zoom out to the city or to zoom out into the country, right, and think through what it means at the aggregate level, right? If we want um, diversity and inclusion and we want the innovation and the creativity and that the energy and the human endeavour and all the beautiful things that come from that, we need to take this burden off people so they can focus on their jobs, like so that they can do the work that they're there to do and they can achieve incredible things in their work without having to have this 
like extra baggage that they're carrying around all the time where they're always expending this energy, that spare energy could Mm. be going into another project or another really cool creative endeavor or into getting their promotion. If we're genuinely bought in to increasing representation of underrepresented groups in senior leadership roles in our organizations, we have to stop this energy leakage (laughs) Mm. so that they can just come to work and be their amazing, incredible selves without having to do this extra work on top, which is either covering or or closeting themselves, trying to be someone that they're not, or that energy that goes into that, into correcting people, into being triggered. Like there's nothing worse than when you're in the workplace and someone says something and it triggers you and it, and it, and it, makes you feel anxious or distracted or it it throws you off, you know, when you're in a situation where you hear a homophobic slur or you hear a a really crappy joke and then nobody says anything and then you're ruminating on it all day and you Mm. just think, God, I really wanted to concentrate on getting my performance review in today and now I'm like my mind's over here somewhere different. So when you add up all of this cumulative energy that goes into this, we're actually taking away from the capacity of individuals to kick us in their core roles. So this isn't a little thing. Like this is a big thing once you kind of add it all together. It may seem like a little thing in just that moment, but then those moments add up and then Mm. all those people and then it kind of accumulates. So really starting to think through not only am I doing the right thing and am I being the best that I can be to be inclusive and welcoming, But what am I doing to create safe spaces, to create welcoming spaces so that every individual in this environment can glide through frictionless in order to be able to achieve and achieve their full potential? So there's a little bit. Mm. So when people start thinking and they sort of change their mindsets a little bit and make it less about themselves and more about others in the system, um, you you can actually start to really move the needle on culture and, and, Mm. you know, the workplace as well. Yeah, I, actually, I have a, a kind of a bit of a story and I want your opinion on this, um, Celia. Yeah. So the other the other week, just um, going off what you're saying, uh, I was in the office and no one really, I don't really, I'm not really that out at work. And I was in the office and I think someone had asked me, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, oh, you know, my, girl, my girlfriend, my partner, I said, she. And I completely froze because this person doesn't know I'm gay. So I said, she, and I took a step back for a moment and my heart sunk. And I was like, I don't know how they're going to respond to this. They didn't say anything, just left it. And then uh, probably, I think it was maybe a week later, uh, we were just going to go visit a customer. And as we were walking, they're like, oh, so how long have you been with your, you know, your girlfriend, your partner for? And then that person went into a whole story of how their best friend is gay and how they go to Mardi Gras. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I had no idea you're a heterosexual male. And you go to all these events. He's like, you know, I'm really supportive. I went to the St. Kilda, you know, Pride March and all that type of stuff. And is that a form of allyship, even though they're not involved in any community groups? And is that them just being an an advocate and telling, showing support and telling you that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we think about advocacy in these really big visible moments, like going to a pride event or going to the Mardi Gras or or like doing like a big thing where a true ally, it's just, it's the thread that's woven throughout your daily Mm. life. 
you know, um, a good example that, that we've actually started doing and it really makes me so happy at Qualtrics is that people use their pronouns. You know, they introduce themselves, you know, hi, I'm Dr. Cecilia Herbert. My preferred pronouns are she and her. And it's become so normal to do that, that and it becomes a practice that you're getting used to. So it doesn't have to be these big moments. It can be these micro moments which mm. are setting a, like a like a cook, like a, a bread breadcrumb trail for people in the organization to say, you're welcome here, you belong here, I see you for who you are, I welcome you for who you are. And you know, that's important because you don't get that messaging day to day. Like in the press, in the media, maybe in your home or in your community or in previous workplaces that you've been to, that may not have existed for you. So we can't just assume that this will just happen naturally actually has to be a conscious effort because these spaces don't exist like they're not organic they're created like we we got to build them consciously through conscious inclusion I know I've always used the line of um if you don't consciously include people you will unconsciously exclude them they will be there are these people and, and it's not just lgbtiq people it's people of different races, ethnicities, um, disabilities and abilities, age. There's all these different ways that people find themselves underrepresented or, um, un, you know, in the workplace or marginalised in some way. So if we don't make an effort to say, no, 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 this is a space for you. Like mm. I'm going to be your peer and I'm going to see you for who you are and value you as a human being for the whole person that you are. If we don't consciously do that, the default is that it's not that. <laughs> so I think these moments are more important and more powerful than we realise, particularly if you're straight, particularly if you're um, cisgendered, so if you identify with the gender um, that you were assigned with at birth, you've never had that feeling where you weren't normal in that way or you weren't what people were assuming. So you don't know that these um, privileges that you experience every day even exist you know it's it's hard to acknowledge it when it's just been your lived experience so growing that awareness taking daily action to counter these assumptions about people and letting people know that they're welcome is it's a daily activity it's it's not something you do just in pride month yeah reminds me of the um there's a, a saying and I'm I want to attribute it to Desmond Tutu, but I might be wrong. So please forgive me if I am. But it's uh, it's something to the effect of if you remain neutral in times of injustice, you are choosing the side of the oppressor. And it's something that I've it's stuck with me for a really long time because when I first heard it, I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I'm like, but what does that mean? And I and I think back on all the times I've had conversations with people and they're like, yeah, I'm fine with it. I don't go marching. I don't talk about it with everyone, Like, but I'm okay with it. It's like, but you haven't done or said anything. And because mm -hmm. you haven't done or said anything, I have assumed that you are not okay because that's the default of the world. Me growing up, I... I I, I grew up in a different different world to Bianca, right? I, I grew up in a world where I had beer bottles thrown at me and punches thrown, like, you know, like it's, it's, it was a very, very different sort of world when I first came out. And so my natural default is you are against this unless you tell me or show me otherwise. Yeah. And that's why when, yeah. you know, when 
you know, I hear people go, yeah, but I'm fine. Why do I have to keep talking about it? Why do we always have to keep bringing up? Because I need to know you're fine. Yeah. I need to know that I'm safe. I need yeah. to know that I'm welcome. I need to know that I belong here because that hasn't been my lived experience to date. And I think that it feels like you're not being needy, like well, they're not being needy. <laughs> it is literally like we all have this need. We all have this need to belong, to come to work, to feel comfortable, to share our ideas, to share our voices, to, to be the best teammates that we can possibly be. This is a fundamental human need. Some people have it. Some people don't. And I think that this is the distinction that if you've got it and you feel that way, you assume might assume that other people are also experiencing that same interaction or that same workplace the same way that you are, but they're not because they're different and they feel different and they feel like their difference is really visible to everybody and mm. and it feels like it might not be obvious to you but it feels really obvious to them because it's their lives and it's their experiences you know it isn't just a, a label or a badge that you put on you know being gay or being transgender or or being you know intersex it's who you are it's not something that you can take off and leave at the door so if you're not even a, aware like that isn't their experience that isn't their lived experience to date. So your default is not their default. <laughs> and we need to make that code switch in our heads that we need to be quite active in creating these spaces to say that you are safe here, you are welcome here, you belong here. And I think that those affirmations are very important. And I think we underestimate how powerful they are as allies. Absolutely. Very true. Yeah. We we're talking before um, before we, we pushed record about um, <laughs> uh, about the acronym itself. Now mm. I was saying I grew up in a different different time, right? Mm. I grew I came out when the community that I'm now part of was known as the gay and lesbian community. That's what it was. Um, it very very quickly, and when I mean quickly, I mean things quickly is within sort of five to ten years. I'm not talking about overnight, but it quickly turned from that into the LGBT community it was a four-letter acronym for a long time it was a four-letter acronym um, obviously that's grown it's changed it's evolved um, and I think that there's some misunderstanding as to why there are so many letters and perhaps what each of the letters are um, yeah. and we were, we were saying that it's it's good to reset so hmm. let's discuss it and like how many letters are there like there's there's a plus don't forget that there's a plus there is, there's more yeah. that aren't even there um, yeah, so I think it's really important to just set the, the tone here in that there are two, I mean, if you were to break it down into simplistic terms, there's sexuality and sexual attraction and, and, and who you are attracted to romantically, which is the, the lesbian, the gay and the, the bisexual components of the LGB. And then there's the T, which is gender identity, which is how you identify. Do you identify as male do you identify as female or are you actually identifying with the gender that you were assigned at birth so um you know does your biological sex match who you how you identify so a lot of people it doesn't and so they are either you know living in a body um which doesn't match their gender identity they're going through gender affirmation where they're transitioning um their physical or their appearance you know their, their physical gender markers to match their identity and there are people that have have been on that journey and are on the other side of that and who have uh, whose 
gender markers do match um, their gender identity because they have transitioned their gender, but they may have been given a, or assigned a different sex at birth. Um, so when we talk about people who do identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, we say that that's cisgendered. Um, so that's the, the like the straight version of the gay. Um, it's the cisgendered to the transgender. But then there's also intersex and there's others as well. And there's queer and there's a whole bunch of other things in there. So intersex is physiological. You know, I, I, I always cringe when I see these things around like, well, there's male and there's female and like, you've got to pick one. Well, there's not, there's also intersex and, you know, physiologically, sometimes our, um, you know, sex organs and things like that aren't clear, you know, they, that we do have different chromos chromosomal compositions and those people would be identified as intersex. And, you know, there's a huge history um, you know, with them and their interactions with the medical professionals and having gender affirming surgery at birth and all sorts of things that have gone on with that group of people. So they're, they've got a really unique experience as well. And then there's queer, um, which I love is coming back. I would have to say that, you know, for, um, you know, more the elders, the, I would say the more gay elders, like queer was used as a really derogatory term, you know, um, and like, you know, a bit of a bit of a language warning here, you know, it was queer and faggot and dyke, if you remember, like, it was really quite a negative term that was used, but it's being owned, you know, like the community is taking it on and saying, yeah, we are queer, like we are, and we're proud. And it could be anything in that spectrum. It could be any one of those LGBT, like, however, you're just not, you know, straight, and you're not, like necessarily, you know, gender binary. And so you're queer. And so it's kind of a, like they're owning that term now. I'm, and I'm loving that the younger generation is coming up and going, nah, that's our word and re-owning their power on that one. Mm. Yeah. Have you noticed yeah. the same thing, Kylie, as well? Is that, are you seeing it? I have. I mean, look, queer was, was it's a bit, when it was a derogatory term is a bit mm. before, before me, but it's, but it was still kind of there, right? It's yeah. still, you know, it, it still influenced it influenced my my uh, sphere of people, and it um, I think it sort of started to take its power back in uh, in marches and protests. There used to be the you know we're here we're queer get used to it. That was a very big chant sort of in the in the eighties, and uh, but it was because I think there was a, a certain aspect of that where people were trying to be shocked, like they were trying to shock people. And, and so there was still a negativeness to it that, you know, we need to use this word in order to shock you, to make you listen. Uh, so to hear it, um, when it first started to come back, I have to tell you, I was really confused. I'm one of those people who very happily put my hand up and say when I get confused about something, I go and look it up because I need to know. Um, hmm. Transgender was was one that, that uh, I wasn't 100% on for a long time because I just... I didn't know anyone at the time. This is many years ago and uh, I needed to know. So I went and did a lot of research and then I sort of started to open my eyes and look around and friends started to talk to me about it. And, and I think it was just because my, I don't know how, how else to word this, but I felt more open to it. And so I felt as soon as I opened that, people did they their uh, friends start, you know, came and told me that they're affirming their gender and, and they're going through this process. And I'm like, no idea like I just I didn't I didn't see it and not that I didn't want to I just didn't it was like I was blind to, to something um and I, I often sort of take a, a further step back and go I, I I understand what it's like to be straight 
and to not understand the queer community because it's not part of your world. It's not part of who you are. It's not part of, you know, part of your, your life cycle. So, you know, why, why look into it? And the simple fact is when you open yourself to things, things come into your life that you just didn't know you were missing. Uh, mm. And companies have begun to do this, which is beautiful. Mm. But I think on people on a personal level, if we can, if we can get more people to sort of start to be open to it, I think it's it, what you get back is far beyond what you, you would expect. Mm. And I think you're touching on a really important point, Kylie, is that the lesbian, the gay, the bisexual, the transgender, the intersex, you know, don't forget there's pansexual, there's queer, there's mm. asexual, there's aromantic, there's so much in there. And what it is is a bucket. It's a bucket of not hetero mm. <laughs> and not, not um, identifying with the gender you were assigned with at birth. And it's all in that other bucket. And I think what, when people get confused by this, they're like, well, you know, like I've, I've had, you know, earlier in my career, like, well, what is the pride community's opinion on this? And you're like, what? Like there is no <laughs> single pride community. Like hmm. they are a hugely diverse group who are bound together by their, there's a similar experience that they're all having, marginalised, various forms of oppression, you know, not being considered normal, you know, like the norm being that you're assumed straight unless otherwise proven, you know, you're assumed that you identify with the gender that you were, you know, you were assigned with at birth unless, you know, otherwise. And so we, we put all of those experiences that people have about being outside of people's assumptions of what is normal in a single bucket. And that erases the uniqueness of each of their different experiences. And it makes, it adds a whole new layer of assumptions mm. around that. But when we're talking about the LGBTIQA plus community, we're actually talking about the straight community. We're actually talking about the cisgendered community because it's in comparison to them that we're talking about. It's their experience in comparison to other people who don't have to deal with what they have to deal with. And yes, there is commonality in your obstacles that are in your pathway or um, forms of oppression, but it varies greatly within the community. And I think one thing that's really important that you're touching on is particularly the transgender community. It's a small group of people. It isn't a huge percentage of people who identify as transgender but they are massively overrepresented in terms of the, the oppression that they mm. face. And they are, an, and as a result, are made to be an exceptionally vulnerable part of our human community. And when you look at what's going on, you know, particularly in the US at the moment where they're going after trans kids, and like it's in some of these states, it's like less than 10 children that they're looking to ban from school sports. They're not even competing competitively. They are no threat yeah. to anybody. And yet they are the focus of so much debate and rhetoric. And, you know, they are so focused on as people. So it's no surprise that they are the most vulnerable. They have the highest rate of self-harm and suicide. They have the lowest probability of surviving, you know, through into adulthood, trans kids, you know, we need to be doubling down on mm. that community's experience specifically because what they are facing is very different to what 
say a white, gay, straight, able-bodied man would be experiencing. Like, you know, you almost couldn't even compare the two and to kind of bundle them together it feels quite dismissive and it kind of erases that individual experience. So each one of those letters carries identity, carries meaning, carries its own form of um, oppression or its own form of privilege, even in some ways, you know, as particularly the bisexual community, like I identify as somebody who is bisexual and yet I have never experienced any like discrimination or anything as a result of that because I'm hetero passing or I'm hetero assumed I guess that was a word that I heard the other day because I've been married for to a man for 18 years I have three kids I'm living the most heteronormative experience so Mm. I fit right in that stream so I can't even pretend to understand or have that lived experience of someone who's only ever been in same-sex relationships or someone who's transitioned, mine is not even close. So just acknowledging that each one of those letters means different things doesn't mean that they all, they do have a similar experience as compared to straight or cisgendered people, but that's where it ends. That's where the, the, the link between those letters ends. And there's more there. You know, there's, there's pan, as I said, there's pansexual, there's asexual, there's all sorts, there's, there's people who identify as non-binary. They're not necessarily mm. transgender, but they're non-binary. So they don't choose, they don't identify with male or female, you know, or maybe they identify with both, but they choose to sit in a much more fluid, you know, non-binary way of thinking about gender in like in terms of male and female or boy and girl or man or woman. They sit in a space in between. And that's not, there's no letter for that in there, but that's a huge group. Um, of people that I mean I've got lots of friends who are are non-binary and I'm their letters not in there (laughs) it will be yeah it will happen (laughs) yeah Celia what are some of the key um, kind of themes for building that sense of community within an organization or in a workplace Uh Um, and do you think it's more of a feeling that you know that we're trying to create amongst employees or how do you how do you view that well, I think the first thing to to know is that they already exist. <laughs> you know, um, you know, LGBTIQA plus um, individuals will often find each other somehow, and yeah. there will be a community <laughs> at various forms of um, growth in the organization. So, you know, the, the real the thing is to just acknowledge that that's already there. So, like when I arrived at Qualtrics that was already in place. You know, we already had a group that were meeting, but as an ally, my role was to sort of come in and say, how can I help you take this to the next level? What can I do to accelerate your work? And so I think one thing that we often forget is that the work of building a community or building an employee resource group and really growing that and really getting it as a foothold and having it be a feature of the culture in the organisation, that work is going to be done by allies Mm -hmm. and I think that if you keep just leaving it to them and it's the same with you know women's leadership groups or um, race ethnicity cultural diversity groups you know they can't just it can't just be grassroots it has to be top down and bottom up so it requires buy-in from the leadership to prioritize this 
as people doing this work, it's seen as work, right? Like it's seen as building our culture and it's seen as making our business better. So when people take time out of their day to go to the committee meetings, to organize the events, that that's not seen as volunteering. It's actually part of the work that we do as corporate citizens and as people who are part of the culture of the organization. It makes us all better as a result. It requires funding. It requires resourcing. You know, the the work isn't going to do itself. Um, So it requires volunteers. It requires people to come in and and do the work (laughs) that is required. And that can't just be, as we were talking about before, you can't push all this work onto people who are already dealing with life's extra burdens that they carry as a result of their identity. So as allies, you know, our role is to really step into that space and listen and say, how can I help? The last thing you want to do is explain to them how they should be doing it because mm-hmm. like, let's like, you know, what is, I don't know, like this mansplaining, is it like straight splaining? I don't know. Like there might be a like an equivalent version of that. <laughs> um, but you know, really starting to think through how can we elevate this up to not just mm. be a cute thing on the side, um, but actually being part of our identity as an organisation, as the way we engage with our customers. Don't forget that people, our customers want to engage with organisations that have integrity. They want to engage with people who are having a, a positive impact, a positive social impact, not a negative one. They want to work with employees that are that are good. They want to work with your employees. They're good people that, that stand mm. for something, that, that are creating spaces for their peers to come in and also work and not creating boundaries for people to be part of that amazing work that they're doing. You know, this is a, it's a global community effort that we're all part of. And so really thinking through it, it's not, that's how we need to be thinking through as allies, as what can we do to set these people up for success who are running these groups and who are leading this work? How can we ensure that they're successful both in the work that they're doing in the community, like in setting up this group, but also professionally? You know, you don't want these employee resource groups to be set up in the organisation, creating this extra burden, burning these individuals out, having them leave the organization and then just having to repeat the process all over again and having a revolving door of diverse talent (laughs) coming in and out because they're struggling to do their core work and they're struggling to create these communities. So this is a real structural and systemic approach that doesn't require you to be part of the LGBTIQ plus community. It requires you to be a great leader. And do you feel that they feel isolated, the allies, if they're not part of that community at all? (laughs) I have grappled with this um, a lot. My advice that I always give to employee resource group leaders is that your employee resource group serves a bunch of different agendas and different priorities, right? Mm. But the number one is to create a safe space for people from those groups, from these communities, that they can come together and feel like they're connected and that they belong. If they don't feel that in the company at large, if they don't feel that in their teams, if they don't feel that at home maybe, that they can have that space in this organisation with this group of people around a table, that there's people like me, that you see me, that you hear me, that you accept me and that we're doing cool stuff together. 
And that's your minimum. That's, that is absolutely your bedrock. If you're mm-hmm. focusing your employee resource group on making allies feel welcome in that space as a priority above the other, you've lost your way. Mm. <laughs> it's, you know, allies are welcome, but they need to pull up a seat and they need to realise that it's not about them. And they need to realise that they are not the focus of the attention, that the messaging coming out, the communications coming out, you know, even the policies or the programs or the resources that have been created for and with this community aren't for them. And that it's really, really hard (laughs) for people to accept that when they're used to being centred in the Mm. narrative or they're used to being at the centre of the attention, that in this space they're not. And that they're there to serve and they're there to help other people have the same experiences that they've been having in their lives today and to close the gap, to, to close that experience gap. And so often you will get feedback. You will get feedback to say, oh, like I'm an ally and I don't feel welcome in this pride group because you guys are all like just about being gay all the time and like <laughs> I don't feel like I can speak up and I don't feel like I can have a voice. And like in the list of issues... <laughs> Like, I I hate to be blunt about it, but, like, that's not a space for them. The rest of the workplace is for them. The whole of society is built for them. (laughs) The entire workplace was designed around assuming, like, things like health insurance policies and, you know, badges on on your thing only have binary male and female, he and him or Mr and Miss on it, Mm -hmm. like, the way you it was all designed yeah. assuming that you would be either straight or that you would be um, binary in your gender markers. Hmm. So, like, it's okay that this one little thing, this one little corner of the company isn't about you. And I think as leaders of these groups, it's a really hard conversation to have with people when they're being vulnerable and they're sharing with you that they don't feel welcome. Mm. And you're not saying, I don't care, but you would say, that's how we feel every day outside of this space. Yeah. So this is a learning process for you (laughs) to learn what it feels like to not have a space that centers you in the narrative. Most definitely. Yeah, well, thank you so much um, for sharing that with us today, um, Celia. We're very, very excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, look, my pleasure. And um, thanks to my neighbour as well who's mowing their lawn, which yeah. you probably hear in the background. Um, yeah, thought it was a vacuum. It always happens. I've got a flock of, yeah. uh, of lorikeets that keep flying past and I'm like, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but look, I mean, thanks yeah. to you both for for putting on this podcast series. I know it's a it's a lot of work that goes into things like this, into raising a voice and sharing perspectives, and mm. you know, and to everyone who takes the time out to listen to mm. it. I hope that you know, usually we're going to attract uh, people who are, you know, who identify with the pride pride group uh, would probably be listening to most of this, but hopefully they can share this with their allies and and say like, hey you know, this is, we're all in this together. We're all working on this together. And it is, it's work. It's actual work. And so I appreciate the work that you two both put into making this happen. So thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. That's all right.